Can everyone really lead? What does that look like? Hi, I'm Chris. And I'm Brianna. This is the When Everyone Leads podcast. We're coming from the Kansas Leadership Center, an organization that recently published a book called When Everyone Leads. Leadership is something you do, not something you are. Leadership is about putting the challenge at the center and working with other people, not just taking charge. We've been sent on a quest. This book inspires us, but how do people actually put it into practice? How does this apply to civic issues? What is clear? What is messy and complicated? This is When Everyone Leads on Polarization. Joseph Shepard, I serve as the Chief of Staff at Lead for America, which is a national nonprofit service-based organization. We're focused on mobilizing America's best leaders to return to their hometowns to tackle critical challenges in their communities. And the topic that I'm discussing today with you all is the polarization and or political divide that we see in our country, particularly because as Lead for America looks at the approach of retaining talent and mobilizing young leaders to tackle the challenges in their community, we do that through multiple lenses. But one of the lenses that we really try to deploy into our fellows is the bridge building mission, which is working with not only leaders that think differently than them from an ideological standpoint, but community leaders that think differently leaving them as well. We believe that one of the biggest threats to our democracy in our country is that the polarization continues to grow each and every year with every single election, whether that be at a local, state, or federal level. And so we are trying to close that gap in helping our community realize that we have more in common than we do different, which I think is something that we hear a lot. But what does that really mean? When we sit down and we talk about the issues that truly matter, they're not Republican or Democrat or Libertarian. They're issues that impact all of us. When we talk about economic development, when we talk about the digital divide, when we talk about our education system, healthcare, etc., those are all issues that are getting in the way of a healthy, vibrant economy and creating communities across our country that are prosperous. And we should all be able to get behind a lot of those core values and core issues. And so that's what Leaf for America is really focused on. So I'm already hearing a lot of different people at play. Why is this issue so important to you? So at Lead for America, we're all about building a strong civic bench of leaders. And it's important to us because we know the challenges that are facing our communities, particularly in rural communities and urban communities, most people in those communities, right, they don't care if a Republican is getting it done, if a Democrat is getting it done, they care that progress is happening, right? And so when we talk about when everybody leads, when everyone leads, doesn't matter who it is, right? It's everyone, everyone in the room, everyone in the community. And we know that in order to build a strong civic bench, it's going to take everyone. And literally from those who are in preschool all the way up to those who are retiring or leaving their service position or career position to pass on that institutional knowledge to the next generation, it takes all of us to build strong and vibrant communities. And we've got to work together and be a unified front if we want to make progress on these issues. That's such a wide range. I guess it would be like different different levels mm -hmm. at that point mm -hmm. and based on your background maybe different levels there of what you would care about yeah. uh, have you experienced any of that 
Absolutely. So one of the unique things about Lead for America is that we have our National Fellowship Program, and then we have what's called the American Connection Corps Program, which is focused on closing the digital divide across the country. But we pride ourselves because there's a wide range of fellows in our program. We say that we focus on the next generation and building a civic bench of world-class leaders. We have fellows who are 18. We have fellows who are 45, middle age, older, seasoned is what I like to call them, are seasoned leaders in our country. And ultimately, we pride ourselves on that because age doesn't dictate your capability to lead. And that's something I heard a lot, you know, when I was seeking running for public office, whether it was school board or even the opportunity I had to seek to fill a vacancy on the city council. The feedback that I heard a lot was, you will be so great in five to 10 years from now. And it's like, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm also ready to lead, learn and serve now. One of the ways it seems like it might be personal for you, like Lead for America, is you've put yourself out there and been, in a sense, told no. And so now you're Publicly, role, several times. <laughs> I mean, the primary, you definitely won. That, yeah, I so. did, I did, yeah. You're almost in a role where now you're trying to create a system where more people are encouraged to say yes to right. different kinds of people. So it feels like this is a way for you to address challenges that you've personally experienced yes. in your life. Yes. I mean, when I stumbled across Lead for America, the first thought I had was, this is right on time. I was feeling really defeated. Went through my time at Wichita State University, and a lot of people told me, you know, you can get much further if you just leave Kansas. Go back to California. Move to Washington, D.C. And at every single no, this, this is home. I want to be here. I'm up for the challenge. Ran for school board, was successful in the primary, then got to the general, and again, no. And I worked really hard and knocked on more doors than I could have possibly imagined and, and really engaged and put myself in communities that I felt often made me uncomfortable, but I knew that it was necessary if I wanted to build that trust. Got told no there, then went to go on and seek city council vacancy and thought that I was prepared and I had proven myself and got told no there. And all these things happen publicly, right? And so I think naturally, most people would say, I'm going to take my bat and ball and go home. But for me, it was, no, I want to ensure that other people don't experience what I have experienced. And I want to challenge the community that I love to give more young leaders who are passionate and ambitious and love their community the opportunity to serve, learn, and lead in their community and make a difference. Because the truth of the matter is at 29 years old, I don't know everything, right? And no, I have not been a CEO at 29 years old. And no, I don't have a decorated career that has 15, 20 years of experience, but I do have something to offer. My passion, my innovation, my creativity, my experience, my experience, whether that be growing up in poverty, my experience, whether that be growing up with all of my identities and the layers of who I am, and the experiences that really have taught me the importance of resiliency, compassion, empathy, and also the beauty that I hold of being somebody that is who I am on one side of the political aisle, but I also hold my faith very close to me, right? And so the intersectionalities of who I am, that is experience that young people can bring to the table that I often believe are missing from government, that are missing from nonprofit rooms, that are missing from community organizations that is so necessary in order to move the needle forward. So if we really want to talk about what it means for everyone to lead, I mean, we really have to get really uncomfortable and provocative and say, do we really want everyone to lead? Because here's what I think it means. We have a shortage in our workforce. How are we mobilizing our felons to get a second chance to get back into our workforce? We have a childcare crisis. Well, 
what does it mean to create more opportunity for folks who don't see themselves going to college and earning a four-year degree, but are really great with children. It's really about the innovation. And I think that's what Lead for America does. We bring people together and say, let's get provocative and let's ask some tough questions. Let's make tough interpretations, but more importantly, let's work together to move the needle for all of us, for everyone. Why do you think that it's become more polarized? I think because we make one interpretation about a particular type of person. So if you have faith values, right, or if you share that publicly, then this must mean X about you. Exactly. This level of duality of it has to be black or white, there's no room for gray, mm -hmm. has really put us as a country in a position where we just stereotype and put every person in one box, you know? Even when we fundamentally disagree, we can disagree without being disagreeable mm -hmm. and be willing to lean in and ask more questions and be curious of, huh, so I've heard you say this, what experience happened in your life that led you to believe this way? What concerns you the most about the polarization? When we cannot work together simply because we feel someone is different, when we can't walk into a room and work with someone who may have opportunity or resources that can move our communities forward, but we refuse to walk into that room. We refuse to utilize those resources that that other person, community, or organization has to offer simply because we disagree on a fundamental value. We end up hurting people. We end up hurting community. How do we do what's right for people? Even if you don't agree, even if the numbers don't make sense to you, how do we work together to move the needle? You look at the news today, you see things that are happening in Washington and much respect to the leaders who are serving our country and doing that important work. But sometimes you get discouraged because you say, you know what? This is becoming less about the people we want to serve and impact and more about us. And we all lose when it becomes about us and not about the people but it's about getting people to see the beauty in their communities through working with people who are different than them. Because I think that's when you see there's opportunity here. Mm -hmm. I don't have to leave my hometown to be successful. In fact, I can make a difference by staying and be a game changer. That's what we wanna do. Chris, you might get a little mad at me because I'm gonna ask a question that's definitely not on the script. The issue of abortion, people thought that it was gonna be a lot more polarized than what it was. Mm -hmm. Were you surprised when the results came out and Kansas is known as this red state and the results came out and it did not show that whatsoever? Were you surprised by that or were you like, yeah, that's Kansas? Interestingly enough, I, I was not surprised. <laughs> This is why I love Kansas. We think for ourselves. We don't play by the quote unquote rules. And I think that particular result highlighted that there is a gray area for us. This level of duality of it has to be this or this. There's no in between. And I think Kansas said, mm, there's some gray there. And we feel comfortable being in the gray here. And I think that's what it taught us. So I wasn't surprised. I was proud, not necessarily because of the results. People were like, Kansas sent a loud message. And I'm like, well, we did. I don't necessarily think it's the message that you may be thinking. The larger message for me was that we are free thinkers. Kansas is saying everything is not black or white. There is gray. And I think that is what we are trying to highlight is that most people operate in the gray. There is not a yes or no, it's a yes and.
when we dare to see people not for who we want to see them as, but for who they truly are, we dare to open up endless possibilities for our community and for leadership and for so many other things. I have a good friend even right now who's seeking city council and people want to bring up what he did years ago in 2012. And I shared with someone, hmm, I have people who bring up things that I did in 2016, 2017, when I was 21. And my leadership style and the way I saw leadership is vastly different than I do now at 29. So do we not have room to evolve and grow? Where's that grace? We are complicated yes. people, right? And we, we grow every single day. At any age. Like Absolutely. We can grow at any age. We can gather information and change our minds Absolutely. at any age. <laughs> Absolutely. People deserve room to change not only who they are, but change their minds. I once thought this and now I don't anymore. And that's okay. Are you ready to start putting the idea of everyone leading into practice? Join us for a new one-day program based on KLC's best-selling book. Sign up at kansasleadershipcenter.org. And don't worry, you won't have to listen to my voice or Brianna's voice teaching the whole day. We'll be delighted to have you a part of the When Everyone Leads community. When we open up ourselves to sit down at the table or engage with folks who we traditionally don't believe would have our best interests or have anything to offer us, what we truly are doing is expanding our hearts, but also expanding our minds to be able to look at issues holistically instead of from one point of view. And I don't know about you all, but I want leaders that can look at issues from multiple different lenses and not just one vantage point, because then I know you're not only taking my thoughts and my experiences into consideration when you go to vote or make a decision, but you're truly taking everyone's experiences, thoughts into consideration as well. And that's what we need. We need a strong civic bench of leaders who sure hold certain values and they hold firm to those values, but also at the same time, they can lean in and say, let me go and ask this person who probably I wouldn't traditionally meet with, talk with, consider, see what they think. So that way I can make an informed decision, not just for the people who are counting on me, but for those who probably don't think they can count on me. About the community rather than just yeah. a, a section of people. Absolutely. Who are the factions of people currently involved? I believe if we're going to make progress on this issue, of course, it's going to take everyone, right? But I also believe specifically millennials and Generation Z, we have a unique opportunity to rise up and collectively come together and say, today's a new day and the time is now. And we see where things are going, but we are saying no more. And I think that would send a powerful message to see this upcoming generation say, yeah, I'm not going to lead that way. I'm going to lead this way, which is why I'm really excited to see people like my good friend Dalton Glasscock running for city council, and I'm behind him. And we actually ran against each other for student government when I was at Wichita State, and I ended up winning. But I have a funny joke like, yeah, I won the battle, but he's going to win the war because, you know, he's going to make it to city council before <laughs> me. And here I am still hoping that one day, long, long, long off in the future, it will happen for me. But I'm proud to be behind him, not because we're friends, but because I know that he will listen and he will engage to people who are different than him. And he's proven that. I think... What's more powerful for me is when we're talking about issues that are impacting young people, specifically Gen Z millennials, how powerful it is to have that representation at the table. There's this saying, nothing about me without me. Let's stop talking about the childcare crisis without having 
parents at the table working to solve that issue. And let's stop talking about homelessness or poverty without having the folks who are living it every single day at the table. Let's stop talking about talent retention without having talent at the table. Because I think the people who are most informed are the people who live it every single day. And we've got to do a better job of saying, yeah, I have some expertise and some institutional knowledge. And also there's a gap missing. And how do we fill that gap? When you think about why things are the way they are, like when Gen Z and millennials, what makes it difficult for them to authorize themselves to lead? And for Xers and boomers, why is it a challenge for them to let these younger generations lead? Where we have failed, I think, as a country and a nation is mobilizing our opinions in a productive, healthy way, right? And so KLC teaches this, raise the heat, but raise it to a level in which you can still be productive. And many times when we're having discussions like this, I see us raising the heat, but rarely do I see the conversation being raised in a way where we're still able to be productive. And guess what? 10, 20 years from now, a new generation is going to emerge and millennials and Gen Z, we are going to have to have this conversation too with ourselves and saying, the world has evolved. And as the world has evolved, so have people, issues, time, needs. And while our institutional knowledge will be valuable, we also need to make room at the table for the next generation to be there to offer their input as well. So I think that's been the issue. So the message to our Gen Z listeners is, yes, you too will be old one day. You will not get around it. That is true. Yes, absolutely. And to make room at the table for those who are coming after you to say, you don't have to pay your dues, quote unquote. I used to get so hurt when people would say, pay your dues. That's so subjective and relative for every person. I'm 29, but I've experienced poverty. I know what it's like to sleep in a car and get washed up in a McDonald's restaurant. I know what it's like to struggle through college financially as a first-generation college student. I know what it's like to experience a lot of things. I know what it's like to have custody of my nephew and to be a parent while my sister was going through some things in her life. So excuse me that I didn't pay my dues in the traditional manner, but I've also seen things that most people might age have not, which has prepared me to mature in a way that I believe are kind of head and shoulders above most people my age. And there's some benefit to that. And we have to be careful when we tell people to pay their dues, because you don't know what someone has been through that has prepared them to be able to lead in a way that is unconventional and in a way that is so necessary for where we are right now in our country. I'm sitting here trying to think what's a noble interpretation of that behavior. And I sort of wonder if so many of those people of those generations are parents and then they were grandparents. And maybe there's this sense of protection. I know that making these decisions comes with disappointment and pain and conflict and sacrifice. And public service is hard. And I wonder if there's maybe an unacknowledged reflex of protection that makes it hard. And then that's the excuse that we hear pay your dues. Like I am protecting you from having to make these decisions, which isn't right, but maybe I could understand that if I'm looking at it from what do they really want to accomplish. And there is value in experience. So it's not to say that experience doesn't matter. Yes, it does matter. And it is not the only dictator of someone's ability to be ready to lead in a certain space. And that's a difficult thing to unlearn. But to your point, Chris, yes, I can understand why people want to protect, but also I'm grateful for the people who have allowed me to fall. My grandpa used to say a hard head makes for a soft behind. And sometimes you just got to let people 
fall. And that's sometimes the best way to let them learn. And so I'm grateful for the elders in our community that have seen me going a wrong direction and just have set back, didn't intervene because they knew it would be more powerful for me to fall than it would be for them to intervene. Where do you see our opportunities for leadership lying? The opportunities are endless. Here locally, we are seeing new and exciting leadership rise up and saying, I want to try that out. I mentioned Dalton, but when we even look at outside of the political atmosphere, I am so inspired that there's a young leader working on affordable housing at Wichita Habitat for Humanity, Danielle Johnson. That is inspiring. It is inspiring to see an Ariel Rodriguez at Empower being 31 years old, working on reigniting the passion and the pride of the historic North End. He's 31 doing that great work that our community talks about. And so I like to remind people when they talk about the North End and the great things that are happening, he's 31, did you know that? And so it's a good reminder of like, while we are uplifting that work that is happening, also be mindful of when you say young people are not necessarily ready to be in certain positions of authority or leadership because from affordable housing in our community to reigniting pride in historic communities that have been overserved and overlooked for a very long time to Christina Long, who has opened a facility in the same location that was burnt down years ago because of a protest, right? That is endless possibility of what we are seeing in our own community here in Wichita, Kansas, of what it means to have young, vibrant, exciting leaders doing the work, and we are able to reap the benefits because of their labor. And the thing that they all have in common is that they believe in community. And for every no that they have received, they took it as a chance to say, thank you, and I'm not giving up. And because they didn't give up, look at what they're doing for all of us. We're all benefiting. Even the ones who said, thank you, but no, thank you. We're all benefiting from it. We talked about qualifications and what shows someone that you should be given a chance. And I think back to your answer about community, maybe one of the questions, if not the first question, but high up on the list, we should ask if we're trying to create space for someone to lead is do they believe in the community? Right. Are they doing this for the purpose of serving the community? And if the answer is yes, then that is a qualification that we should take really seriously. Yeah. Where's your heart? The mother who is waiting for legislation to be passed so that she can have access to healthy and reliable foods for her and her family. She doesn't care who gets it done. She cares that it gets done. Mm -hmm. The parents who are basking in the ambiance of being a parent for the first time and bringing their newborn baby home, whether that be through adoption or whatever the case may be, but also at the same time in that spirit of gratitude and excitement, stressed because there are no childcare options and the wait lists are a year out. They don't care what political party makes done. something happen so that their child can be in a safe and reliable childcare facility. They care that it gets done. And that's what we need to start doing is, do you care about community? Do you care about the issues, the adaptive challenges that require all of us, everyone to lead? And if the answer is yes, then let's get it done. And less about I, more about we. What you say makes so much sense. And you gave lots of good examples of people who do that. But then I think about the default narrative we tell about how things are and how we should relate is not that. Right. 
And I wonder, why do you think that is? Why are we so stuck on this blue versus red, left versus right, conservative versus liberal, Republican versus Democrat? What keeps us there? I think what keeps us there is that it's a fun narrative for us. And regardless of what party you are in, I think it creates, they're the bad people. They are the bad people and we have to fight against them because they're going to harm us. It doesn't mean that we should not speak truth to power. Mm -hmm. It does not mean that we shouldn't make tough interpretations. It does not mean that we should not raise the heat. But let's do so in a way that is still productive and doesn't divide or cause harm to our communities mm -hmm. across the country. And it doesn't mean a person is fake for doing that right. because a lot Absolutely. of people think, oh, they're just being nice, now they're fake. Right. No, it's not that. Yeah. It's that, like you said earlier, you are a person, I am a person. Right. You've lived, I've lived. We're both leading this country yeah. in some way, shape, or form. So we have the same goal. We want to make sure that we have a thriving mm -hmm. country. Mm -hmm. So if we were going to get this right in our community, in Wichita, in Kansas, what would that look like? And what might we see happening more often that's not happening right now as much as we'd like? Really, I think it's a matter of we have to become more comfortable with taking that first step of inviting those who think differently than us into spaces where we lead. We need more people to kind of operate in that spirit. And then the second thing I would say is I have a quote as a believer in my faith, and I understand not everyone is, and faith is not a safe topic for a lot of people, so I completely understand and respect that. But for me, I want to live in a way that the values of Jesus Christ, who I serve personally, is evident through my actions, not my words, not my ability to quote scripture, not how many times I tweet a scripture, but through my actions. So I hope that when I walk into a room or when I'm in a tough situation that I'm always leading with empathy, compassion, and grace. Because to me, those are the fundamental values of the higher power that I serve. And I want that to be evident through my actions. Do I always get it right? No. Absolutely not. I'm human. No one gets it right 100% of the time, but I think we have to lead through our actions and not our words. We are living in a time where people can talk a good game, but when you go to cash the check, is it going to bounce or is it going to clear? And your actions, to me, are what dictate whether the check bounces or if it clears. Look, any check that I get better That's all I'm saying. For our Gen Z listeners, a check is the same if you write with a pin. It's just like Stripe or anything. You spend money that way. I love that. Yes, yes. One of the things that I heard from Joseph that really feels like it connects to the book to me is this idea of putting the challenge in the center. So many times in our politics, we put the other side in the center. We say our role is to defeat the other side or it's to keep the other side from getting power or to get what they want. And what Joseph talked about was, no, we need to put what affects people in the middle and get them to find a way to work on it even if they disagree or have different perspectives on it. Because the challenges that he discussed, they affect all of us, regardless of what our politics are. I 100% stand behind the fact that I have seen a lot more polarization and it's been a lot more difficult for people to agree on things. I have found it difficult to agree with other people. I never knew if it was because I was getting older and I was starting to understand 
issues a little bit more and how they relate to me or if it was just because of the change of climate that's been happening and things just more polarized now than what they were before and I've been forced to kind of yeah choose where I stand on a lot of things but I have noticed in myself I will be honest how difficult it is for me to have conversations with people who think differently about certain issues I can have conversations about other things but I'll be the first to say I'm not the right person to have this conversation is there an example of that you feel comfortable sharing when I talk about my adoption and how it is very different to be raised in a culturally black family rather than what it would have been like for me to be raised in a culturally Latino family. That is very different. And when people try to tell me that has lived this life, it gets annoying because it's like, who are you to tell me what's important? Or who are you to tell me what has come out of that? Like I've seen so much racism come out of that. How are you trying to tell me that there's no racism? You don't know. I'm telling you these experiences that I've had and yeah it can be something for me to say this is how I've lived and this is what I've seen but the statistics also back that up so it gets really difficult for me when I'm trying to have conversations with people who are telling me that there's no such thing as systemic racism when they're trying to tell me that racism does not exist and it's just something that people are making up right now and that racism and segregation happened so long ago no it didn't Stuff like that. It's like I can't have conversations with people because I will call you a bad name. Yeah, because they haven't taken the time to see you. So it's really hard for you to consider their perspective at all because they haven't taken the step to try and at least see you and where you're coming from. And if they had taken that step, it might make it more possible for you to consider a different set of experiences. But they really haven't even created the chance mm -hmm. for that to happen. Mm -hmm. And there's something there about that's so fundamental to your identity that it feels like an attack. Mm -hmm. The surest way to get pushback in this world is to attack people's identity and attack these things that are fundamental to people. Mm -hmm. And it destroys the ability to hold and test multiple interpretations. But a lot of what I heard felt like young people that are engaging in leadership, young being a relative term, depending on who you ask. But even starting with the influence there, that felt like a really cool way to see what happens in this book, exercise. <laughs> He's making it safe for other people to exercise leadership in a variety of different spaces. So I thought that was a really cool case in itself about how does someone in authority make spaces that are a bit more depolarized. Mm -hmm. There were moments where it felt like it could have been the topic of retaining young people or yeah. risk mm -hmm. or things like that. I think we could have labeled this conversation so many things, but mm -hmm. polarization obviously was a thread throughout. Mm -hmm. I also heard a theme of being okay with being uncomfortable, mm -hmm. and that showed up in the risk piece about being told no and being uncomfortable but trying anyway, mm -hmm. and then being uncomfortable to work with people that are different than you. This has been the When Everyone Leads podcast, co-hosted by me, Chris Green. And me, Brianna Griffin, with production support from Marin Berblinger, Julian Montes, Neha Baruala. Learn more and order a copy of When Everyone Leads at kansasleadershipcenter.org. Suggest a special guest for the full season of the When Everyone Leads podcast. Connect with the Kansas Leadership Center on Facebook and Instagram at Kansas Leadership Center, or on Twitter, at the KLC. Remember, leadership starts with you. Onward.
we should make Let's a podcast to this sell books. That's all. You get a free book with every download. <laughs> That's it. That's all it takes. Download it once. <laughs>